This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. All right. Thank you, guys. It's good to see you all tonight. I'm really excited about God's Word. This is a parable that's actually a little bit uncomfortable, which makes it fun to read and, and talk through. So are you guys ready? Yeah? Do you have your Bibles? Maybe? Are you all ready to read the screen if you don't have your Bibles? All right. We've been going through the book of Matthew, and Matthew has three very specific goals. One, he wants to remind us that Jesus is the king, and he even surpasses King David. Two, he breaks the curse of sin and death. And three, the emphasis of tonight is that he offers citizenship, that is, redemption to anyone, even the unlikely. And that's where we're jumping in tonight. In the last few weeks, we've talked about how the king reveals his glory as God's son, In the transfiguration, the king expects his citizens to model his character. That was Elijah. Did he do awesome last week? Elijah was awesome. Too bad he left. I'll let him know that that you guys clapped. And then tonight is that the king rewards his citizens. But he rewards differently than our expectations. Now, Matthew is taking two different stories, and he's putting them together to make a point. He has the story of these kids that come to Jesus, and Jesus makes this really strange comment, and he says, you have to be like these kids to have eternal life. And following the the kids is this other character, this rich guy, and he comes and he says, how do I have eternal life? And Jesus says, you follow the commandments. And he says, but I have followed all the commandments. And then Jesus says, sell everything you have, give it to the poor, And then you'll have eternal life. And he's like, what? And he walks. And you'd think that this is the guy. He has the money. He has a reputation. He's asking of how to to be saved. And still, he walks away from salvation. And you have these two stories together. And the point is, the children paired up with the rich young ruler is, where is our dependency? Is our dependency, maybe like the kids, completely on someone else? Is our, is our dependency completely on the Lord, on God, on our King? Or is our dependency on our wealth, on sports, on our grades, on popularity, etc., etc., etc.? Where is our dependency? And then the disciples, they're shocked by this. They're like, obviously, there must be something we can do, some works, some prayers, some way we can give enough money to have salvation. Because if the rich guy, if he can't be saved, and he has all the money, and he has the desire, and he keeps the law, if he's not going to be saved then who can be saved? And Jesus says, hey, for God, for you guys, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And you've got to let that hang in your mind. What works can we do that we can be saved? And Jesus says, there's nothing. There are no works that you can do to earn salvation. And so they say, who can be saved? And they say, but Jesus, we've left our families. We've left our jobs. We've walked away from everything that's comfortable for you. Do we get any kind of rewards if there's no works? And this is how Jesus responds. He responds with a truth, and he responds with a story. And the truth is simply this, and I'll read it to you 
briefly. He says, you will receive a hundredfold. So there are rewards and you will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. So rewards and salvation are not going to be dealt out in the way you expect. It's actually going to be very different, maybe even the opposite of the way you expect God's kingdom to work when it comes to rewards and salvation. And this isn't talking about the last will be first and the first will be last. Like Jesus is watching the water fountain line and he's like, you, you move back here and you, you get to be first. Like that's not what he's saying. He's saying that everything is upside down from our expectations. And he gives them this story. And I'll give you a clue. The story is not about the workers. It's about the character of the master. So are you ready to read this parable together? It begins in Matthew 20, verse 1. Give me a second to bring it up. I think we've got it back here, right? All right. For the kingdom of heaven, it's like a land opener, a land owner or a master who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them at a denarius for a day and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go and work in my vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. Then he went out again about noon and about three in the afternoon. He did the same thing. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others around. And he asked them, why have you been standing here all day long, doing nothing? And they answered, because no one has hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you also, go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came, and they each received a denarius. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. They worked longer, but each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. The landowner, These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. So you see this phrase, the first will be last and the last will be first, is at the beginning of the parable and it's at the end of the parable. That's the point that he wants to get across to us. So let's, let's break this down a little bit. Matthew, 1, or Matthew 20, verses 1 through 2. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning, we can assume about 6 a.m., by the pattern of the rest of the parable, and after agreeing with the laborers for a denarius, he sent them into the vineyard. A denarius was the understood amount for one day's work. So it's sort of like an eight-hour day shift. Why does Jesus open the parable with four? For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house. Why do you think he opens with the word for? Because it hangs in the context of everything we talked about. The kids coming to Jesus, the rich man coming to Jesus, the apostles asking about their rewards. 
What do you think the vineyard represents? Yell back to me. What does the vineyard represent? You guys are sleepy. School is hard. What do you think the vineyard represents? No, not heaven. God's work, God's kingdom, his church. Awesome, okay. Stay with me, keep coming. Who do you think the laborers represent? Here you go, Christians, God's people. All right. Who does the master represent? All right. Thank you, guys. So what are the first things that we learn about the laborers? They're called laborers, even though they're unemployed, which means they're there with a purpose. They're standing around. They're not currently living out that purpose. And this is a time without welfare, without work unions. So if they don't work, they're going to starve. They're actually in need of somebody to grab them and give them something to work for. And what's the first things that we learned about the master? One, he goes out to look for them. He closes the distance between himself and other people. He gives them purpose. And he's caring about those people in need. Let's keep going. And going about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So this is about 9 a.m., and he recruits them. And there's no discussion of wages this time. This time, it's totally dependent on him paying them what is fair. There's no bargaining. So they went, and going out again in the sixth hour. In the ninth hour, he did the same thing. So it's like 12 p.m. and 3 p.m. These workers have been persistently waiting around, hoping that someone will give them some work to do. And finally, about the 11th hour, this is like 5 p.m., an hour before closing time, before the day's work is done, he finds others standing. And he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? And they said to him, because no one's hired us. And he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And so they're desperate. These people are desperate enough they're standing around, at risk that they're out there waiting for nothing, that no one's going to hire them. And also that if they do get hired, they may only be paid for one hour, which isn't enough for them to eat with. So he's finding people that are desperate and he's recruiting them. And isn't that just like God? He comes to us when we're desperate. He closes the distance. He gives us multiple opportunities. He pursues us. This is the God that we serve. He's persistent. He pursues. And he's recruiting laborers. He shows how generous he is. This reminds me of the story of the prodigal son. Do y'all know that story? Like, not at me? Yes? No? If you don't know the story, I'll give you a quick rundown. It's another one of Jesus' parables. And it's about a father who has two sons. And the youngest son demands what he would be owed if his father died. So his father gives him his, his inheritance. And the son goes out and he just parties hard with it. And he wastes all this money until he has nothing left to eat. And finally, he finds himself with no money, no friends. And he goes and he sells himself as, as a servant to feed pigs. And he's sitting in the slop with the pigs and he's wishing he could just eat what the pigs eat. And he remembers his father at home, waiting. And he thinks to himself, at least the servants of my father have something good to eat. So I'm going to go home and I'll, I'll apologize to him and I'll tell him, just maybe one of your servants. I don't even have to be your son anymore. And so he heads home. And then we, the scene changes, and you have this father, and he's sitting maybe on the front porch. And he's looking in the distance, and he sees his son. And maybe he recognizes his, his son's walk. And suddenly this father, this respected person, 
pulls up his robe so he can run, and he sprints out this figure in the distance that is his son. And he wraps his son up, and his son starts to say, oh, just maybe like one of your servants. And before he can speak, the father cuts him off, and he puts a ring on his finger and wraps a robe around his shoulders, and he brings him home as the son who has returned. But that story isn't over yet. Because remember, there was a brother that stayed home. The brother that stays home gets all bent out of shape. Because the father is throwing this party to celebrate that his father, his son came home. And his son doesn't even want to come into the party. He's like, all this time, I've been here serving you faithfully, dad. And you're throwing a party for him? Well, what about me? And his father goes out to his other son. And invites him into the party to celebrate with the first. And he says, look, son, everything I have belongs to you. Come in and celebrate with me. And so you have this picture of the father. And in both cases, he goes out. He goes out to the son who didn't deserve any kind of mercy. And he goes out to the son who's been here faithful the whole time. And this is the master in the story. He goes out again and again. And he's reaching out to people. And he's calling them and employing them and giving them purpose. Let's pick up in verse 8. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the laborers and pay them their wages. And this is the test. This is where the rubber starts meeting the road in Jesus' parable. Beginning with the last person hired, up to the first, when those who were hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius, the same wages for one hour of work. And they're paid in reverse order, so those who were hired first would watch what was happening. Now when those who were hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. Every employee, no matter when they were hired, was paid the same, from the first to the last. What had, the, what had they agreed to, those who were hired first? The denarius is the same. They're getting what they bargained for. Pick up an 11. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day in the scorching heat. And so they're comparing themselves to each other. They feel like they've been wronged. Pay for one hour should not be the same as pay for 12 hours. How dare they be made equal with us? Someone should receive less. Someone should receive more. So they criticized the master for being unfair. And this begins to reveal. Jesus' parable begins to pull back the curtain and it reveals our hearts and it reveals the heart of the master. Because the heart of the master is what we're supposed to learn about. This test exposes who the laborers really are. Yeah, they were desperate for the master's help, but when the rubber met the road, their hearts were ugly. They were discontent and self-interested. They were envious of other people, and they were grumbling, opposing his authority. The part of us that's annoyed by the master's treatment, it kind of it proves that our understanding of the kingdom of heaven is a little bit skewed. It's a little bit tainted by our earthly understanding of how our calculator works. This person deserves grace. This person doesn't deserve grace. This person deserves forgiveness, not this person. This person deserves good things to happen to them. This person does not. This person deserves salvation. This person does not. And the master flips all of this upside down. Our our discontentment doubts God's generosity and accuses him of being unloving. Our envy makes us spiteful against God's gifts to others and fails to love them. 
and our grumbling, our complaining, and our criticisms against God's decisions challenge his justice. And they challenge his authority of being God, of being the master. Have you guys ever played a comparison game between yourself and somebody else? Maybe with someone that hurt you or someone you just don't like. Maybe you've been on the other side. You compare, you compare yourself to someone that you think is better. And you're like, man, I can never be like them. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, man, I'll never be like that. I'm not good enough. I'm not as popular, as talented, as whatever is them. Have you played the comparison game? Does it fr- frustrate you when you feel like somebody else is blessed whenever you should be blessed? Perhaps you wonder why someone as lousy and terrible as them has good things happen to them. God must have missed something. He must not have understood what they have done. But we've got to go back to that prodigal son story. The younger did not believe, the young kid, the one that went out and did a whole bunch of terrible things, he didn't believe he deserved grace. He didn't believe he deserved mercy. And the guy that stood, stayed home He believed that he deserved an abundant amount of grace and mercy. But the kingdom is upside down. It's different. The last will be made first, and the first will be made last. How can we calculate what someone deserves? How can we calculate knowing God's knowledge, his sovereignty, because he knows the heart? I think think when we get to heaven, we'll be a lot less surprised by who doesn't make it to heaven, and we're going to be shocked by who does because of God's abundant grace. The king loves to recruit the unlikely, and he loves to recruit the very people that you and I have written off. He likes to pursue the ones that we look past out of his love, out of his lavish generosity. We can't compare our accomplishments, our seniority, or our sacrifices to others. And this is what he's trying to communicate to his apostles. They're all saying, but, but Jesus, we've, we've left our families. We've left our jobs. We've made big sacrifices for you. And Jesus is like, yeah, you're going to have your reward, but don't be shocked when it doesn't pan out exactly the way you think it does. Because the very people that you think are childlike are the very people that get it. And the people that think that they deserve the fancy seats are the ones that are going to end up being the least. And the best part of this story is that it reveals who God is. It reveals the master. It puts on display God's beauty because his response shows a deeper layer of who he is. Number one, who is God? God is just. He is righteous. Matthew 20, 13, let's keep going. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? I love how he calls him friend. He's diplomatic. This isn't a rebuke. This is a teaching moment. Friend, don't you realize that I'm giving you what we, what we agreed on? He has perfectly kept his agreement. And he's giving the complainers exactly what they are owed. Let's keep going. Number two, God is sovereign. He's in charge. He gets to do what he wants. He is the authority. He's the creator. He's the judge. He's the king of all creation. The heavens are his throne and the earth is his footstool. He is absolutely in charge. Matthew 20, 14. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to the last worker as I give to you. This has been my decision as master of the house. Don't push back. Accept what has happened according to my will. Verse 15. 
Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or, you, or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first will be last. Doesn't the king the right, have the right? Isn't he the master? Doesn't he have the right to do what he chooses with his money, with his possessions? And then I love how Jesus closes with illustrating God's sovereignty is over his kingdom's citizenship and he's over the rewards. He weighs the hearts and he assigns citizenship and value. I love this quote. I don't know who, who wrote it. It says this, Deeds of merit as we thought of them, he will show us were but sin. Little acts we had forgotten, he will show us were for him. We're going to go out of our way sometimes so we can get the pat on the back, so we can get the spotlight. Yeah, I did good. But ultimately, it all comes back around to just being about me. And I'm comparing myself to other people saying, man, don't you see that I've done better than them? And yet, those things that we do just out of the generosity of our heart because we're being like Jesus, things that are like, we haven't even thought about that. The Lord is like, yes, that's it. Right there, that reflects my character. Those are my people. Those are the ones that reflect the master. Anything that he gives to us, we ultimately did not deserve and we did not earn. Remember, the master went to them to offer work. They didn't even have the right to be working unless he went to them. And anything he takes away was his to begin with. It was grace that he gave opportunity to all. Kingdom, citizenship, and rewards are at his command, and he gives them as he sees fit. Embrace yourself. The big truth is that those we assume to be first may be last, and those that we put first are the ones that we put at the bottom. And number three, God is gracious. Verse 15, do you begrudge? This phrase, do you begrudge, means, is your eye evil? As in, are you seeing evil that I'm doing what I want with my possessions? Do we see God's authority as evil that he chooses how he rewards and how salvation works? But he gives grace. And if you don't know what the definition of grace is, I want to lay it out. I think we have it on the screen. Grace is receiving good we did not deserve. That's it. And we see mercy, which means not receiving the punishment we deserve. And we see grace, receiving the good we did not deserve, meet at the cross of Jesus Christ. Because we deserved God's wrath. And Jesus carried that on his shoulders. So he had mercy, that we did not deserve the punishment that we earned. And then he goes beyond to give us eternal life, to call us his sons and daughters, to fill us with the spirit and make us his temple. He gives us good that we never deserved or earned through the blood of Jesus Christ. This is the God that calls us to citizenship in his kingdom. We see God's grace, one, and that he even goes out to them, and two, that no one was underpaid, but in fact, everybody but the very first people he recruited reserved unmerited generosity. It's not limited by what we believe is fair. We can pull out our calculator all day, and our calculator is only going to fit our human understanding. It will not fit his godlike, universal, omniscient understanding and sovereignty. God's love will always exceed our expectations. Sometimes his love may be expressed in the judgment of sin, 
Sometimes his love may be expressed in disciplining those he loves. And sometimes his love is expressed in lavish generosity to those he chooses. I have three living heroes, three dead heroes, and three fictional heroes. And one of my living heroes is named Bob Goff. And if you've ever read his book, Love Does, it's a spectacular book. And if you graduate out of Elevate, I'll be giving you the book on the night that we celebrate you. And he tells a story that when he was a kid, that he would go to a corner store at the end of every week after collecting pocket change from his dad throughout the week. And he would bring the change as a little kid, and he would find a candy bar or some piece of candy, and he'd push the change up on the counter, And he describes the old man behind the counter as the guy from Up. You know, the old guy in the movie Up. Just adorable old man. And the old man would would count the money, and he'd have them count together, and they would separate the nickels from the pennies and the dimes. And it was always this special thing. And then he would give Bob a candy bar, and he would push back the excess change. And one day, he put his change on the counter, and he had his candy bar, and the change didn't add up. He was a penny short. And the old man said, man, what are we going to do about this? And Bob says, he loved that he said the word we, because it was like he wasn't on his own. Like, we're, doing, we're in this problem together, man. And he said the store owner took one of the pennies and a rag, and he put a little salt and a little vinegar on the rag, and he rubbed the penny until it was shiny. And he said, you know what, Bob? Pen- shiny pennies in my store are worth double. And he laid the penny back down, And he said, I believe you have enough. And he gave him the candy bar. And Bob was like, yeah, shiny pennies are worth double. And you know what? That principle isn't going to work at the store next door. It's not going to work at Walmart. It's not going to work anywhere else. But this store owner was in charge. And he decided what the value of Bob's pocket change was for the sake of his grace. And we come to God and we come insufficient. We come with dirty hands. In fact, we're filthy. And with our dirty hands, we try to wipe ourselves clean, and we just can't do it. And we stand before God saying, Lord, I I don't have it. I can't live up to your grace. I can't live up to your love. I can't live up to your justice or your law or your commands. And Jesus says, I write the rules. And I choose grace. In this store, Shiny pennies are worth double. And when Jesus offers the cross, when he offers salvation, he is carrying the wrath of God so that he can offer eternal life. He is paying what we could not pay with his blood that surpasses any good works we could ever have. And he offers eternal life again and again and again. And he recruits us. And he rewards us. And salvation doesn't work the way we think it should work. And his rewards don't fit our human calculator. And yet they are gracious and generous and just. And he is sovereign over it all. So I'd like to offer you three three challenges. Followed by two things to, to practice this week. The first challenge is this. Don't hesitate to say yes to the God of grace. Listen to Ephesians 1 verse 9. In him, that is Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sin, according to the riches of 
Not our works, not our being good enough, not our fitting a mold. The riches of His grace. He decides how valuable a penny is. Which He lavished, His grace is lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ Jesus. Number two, stop playing the comparison game. The comparison game is a game you will never win. As soon as you compare yourself to somebody else, you've already lost. Because you will either say, I'm doing great, and you have pride. Or you'll say, I totally suck at life. And you'll feel that you never measure up. You'll take your eyes off the goal and put it on how pitiful you feel. You'll be discontent. So you have pride or you have discontentment as soon as you step into the comparison game. You've got to stop looking around. Elevate. Stop looking around at everyone else and everyone else's followers and everyone else's Instagram saying, I need to be like that. Or, I'm so much better than that. We've got to turn our focus from what is temporary and earthly and put our focus on something grander. Something permanent. Someone who is lavishing his love towards those he calls. Hebrews 12, 1-2. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all those who have gone before us who know God's love, let us also lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely to us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking where? Not on each other, not on living up to expectations, not trying to be something. No, but our focus is looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that was set. If you don't have joy in your life, maybe you're playing the comparison game. If you don't have peace in your life, maybe you're playing the comparison game. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And number three, Jesus the Master gives us work to do. We have been employed with a purpose. Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God. We've been invited into a vineyard and that is his church, that is his world, and we have been called to tend it to work it, to be faithful. Now, he brings the fruit, but we are faithful. He is the one that brings out the harvest, but we are showing up every day. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything that we need, he's going to take care of that. This is the Christian's purpose, to follow our king and to furthering his kingdom as citizens of his kingdom. May we be a people who pursue people. May we be willing to go out and see who's standing around. May we begin to see purpose in people that isn't lived up to, and we can introduce them to Jesus. May we pursue others and be selflessly as gracious and loving as our King. May we reflect our Master. So recap. Kingdom citizenship and rewards aren't given according to our expectations. The parable of the laborers reveals our inner character and it reveals God's character. Number three, our character is discontented, it's envious, and it challenges God's authority. 
God's character is just. His character is sovereign. And his character is lavishly gracious. Our salvation is based on his faithfulness, not on ours. We simply believe. We must stop playing the comparison game and focus on our relationship with him. And our recruitment to citizenship comes with purpose and work to be done. So here is your two challenges for the week. Two things to, to employ. Set aside seven minutes every day for the next seven days to praise God for his character. I named three. That he's just, that he's sovereign, and he's gracious. But there's so many more. Spend seven minutes thanking God and praising him for his character. And number two, begin praying that God gives you opportunities to serve in his kingdom. That he'll give you kingdom eyes to look around and say, Lord, where are you working? How can I join you? Who is it that you are loving today that you want me to join you in loving today? How can I be a part of what you're doing? Heavenly Father, you are gracious and kind. Thank you, Lord, that in your corner store, you get to make the rules. In your corner store is all of creation. Thank you, Jesus, for, for showing your love to us through dying on a cross for our sin so that we could know you. We love you, Lord. Lord, I pray that you are pricking hearts tonight, that you are calling your people to your kingdom. And Lord, those who are already kingdom citizens in here, I pray that you are calling them to work it, to be engaged. Lord, our works will never earn salvation, but our salvation energizes us and propels us towards serving you, our king. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this place. Lord, I pray that we will enjoy our relationship with you and serve you to our fullest. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen, Elevate. Okay, you guys are dismissed. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.